Let me get a drink of water here first. I've been fighting a little bit of a cold. I need one of those little stands right here, right, so I can put the water. I'll just put it over here. But yeah, I've been fighting off a little bit of a cold, don't worry. It's definitely not COVID. Um, and I'm on the far end of it, but it does affect how I sound. So, uh, But anyways, uh, welcome again, everyone. Good to see you all here today. Uh, how many of you... How many of you sang choir in school? Uh, sang in school choir. Okay, there's, there's, a, bu there, there's a bunch of you. Uh, I did. I'm sure that's no surprise. Um, I did, and I liked it, and I would do it again. Except eighth grade choir. I wouldn't do eighth grade choir again. Um, seventh grade choir I really enjoyed. I love seventh grade choir. It was uh, all boys. It was an all boys choir. Uh, and I don't know why the school set it up that way, uh, so I sang in seventh grade choir. I sang soprano. I was great at it. And part of it is it was fun because everybody sang. Uh, people, they actually, you know, even the jocks sang. Even the burnouts, you know, with their Megadeth t-shirts and stuff, you know, and their feathered hair that looked so cool. Um, they all sang. Everyone sang. It was great. Then came eighth grade choir. I sang bass. And then they added girls. So now nobody sang. And it isn't like it was just the girls' fault, but it's that instead of worrying about, can I sing? It was, is she looking at me? Does he like me? Oh, did you do? And they're busy like passing notes around, flicking notes around. It, it, it was the 80s, right? We didn't have texting like, how are you? today, emoji, 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 LOL, RFMLL, whatever. So nobody sang. Because all anyone ever cared about was what everyone else thought about them. And like I say, it wasn't their fault. And so by, by high school choir, by high school this had all changed again. So we were back to singing, we were allowed to sing. The guy who sat next to me uh, he got drafted in two professional sports. So he gave an air of masculine safety around him. You didn't have to worry about your masculinity questioned if you sang near Chad, who could play both professional hockey and professional baseball if he wanted to. He, he tried hockey, um, for the record, but we all sang. It was great. And I still want to look back, and I still want to say, God bless you. I don't remember what my eighth grade choir teacher's name was, but I want to say, God bless you to that choir teacher for teaching eighth grade mixed choir year after year after year. Um, you know, because what happened, well, I mean, it affected the kind of music we could do, right? I mean, she was a good teacher, but she has to work with what she's got to work with. And she, you know, and it, all that politicking stuff it affected the music we did. It affected how we sounded, which wasn't great. Everyone goofed around, and then concert time came, and their parents were watching, and boy, everybody seemed to fall into place, but they didn't know their notes, because, you know. And, and I don't blame the choir teacher for not being able to get into a whole lot of sight reasoning or musical theory or proper enunciation, any of that stuff. You know, we, we weren't ready for it. We couldn't handle it. You know, all we were worried was the social positioning. I mean, how can you possibly worry about sight reading if Jenny doesn't like you? 
How can you possibly worry about sight reading if Jenny does like you? For the record, she didn't. Um, but, you know, I honestly, I honestly love, I honestly love teaching junior high. I like teaching confirmation. Uh, but I'll admit, it, go, it varies year to year. The hardest years are the years when everyone comes in and all they're worried about is this social stuff. Pop culture references, you know, catching up on school gossip, who's with who, you know, what are appearances like, and, and, and what are, is everybody going to think about me? It's hard to talk about justification by grace through faith when they're worried about who texted or didn't text or what they texted or Snapchatted or DM'd or XYZ or whatever it is, they, the new little gizmo doohickey majicky thingy they're doing. TikTok? Is it TikToking? You can't give the meat, so to speak, because they can't handle it. They're not ready for it. You have to make everything about something simpler, more concrete, more easy to digest, like what Paul calls the milk. This is the language that he uses when talking to his church in Corinth. And like I said with the kids, he came in, he planted this church. And as he did, he would plant, he'd stay a while, and then he'd leave. He'd hand it off to someone else and go on and keep planting. His gift was to plant. And he handed the church over to a guy named Apollos. And then he's off uh, in prison, and he gets word. He gets word that there's politicking going on among members of the church. And they're trying to establish rank and position based on who baptized who. So the people who were baptized by Paul are saying, well, I, I, am of a, I am of a higher, more spiritual Christian than you because Paul did my baptism and Paul saw Jesus in, in, in a vision and Paul met Peter, the disciples, and Paul planted it and Paul came first. So therefore, my baptism is a better baptism and I outrank you. And then the people who were baptized by Apollos then said, yeah, well, Paul might have been there first, but he's gone. So since I'm with Apollos, and he's actually here, that means that I actually outrank you guys. Your guy's gone. He's in prison. And so suddenly now we're comparing. And they're trying to establish this caste system. And if you think that's crazy, you got to picture it a little bit kind of like, I, I would imagine the legal profession. You know, they say who you intern with, who you clerk with matters. You know, one person goes and they're applying at some firm and they'll say, well, I clerked for Sotomayor. And the next one says, oh, I clerked for John Roberts. And the next one says, I clerked for the assistant DA of Toledo. We know who's going, we know who's more likely to get that judge appointment, right? And it isn't because the person who worked in Toledo is any less good of a lawyer. It's that who you're with, right? And who you know. And so that personal connection sort of advances you in rank. And this is how Rome worked. But imagine this on like a, a countrywide scale where everything in society was based on everyone trying to form some sort of an alliance relationship with somebody of a higher class. And that person of the higher class was called a patron. That's where we get the word patronage or patronizing. So if you were just a you know, handyman 
if you could get, if you could strike a deal with, you know, somebody who ran the guild as your patron, then you, he would give you benefits and you'd talk him up. And then you might have a chance at a slight increase in your rank. But you couldn't get business if you didn't have a patron to arrange business for you. So it was never a system that was on the books. It wasn't a legal system, but it existed socially. And if you didn't have a patron, you were nothing. You were outside the system. You couldn't get work, jobs, anything. All the connections that ran everything in society was patronage. So all these Christians in Corinth, they come and they join this church. They're Christians now, and what's the first thing they do? Oh my gosh, I gotta figure out who my patron is. Who, 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 how do I, where's my place? How do I establish a rank? I can't just go to church like a person. I have to have a patron. And so they start using Paul and Apollos like they were patrons and start trying to establish a ranking system like that. <coughs> and this is how it worked, right? And Paul has to come in and tell them, Look, it doesn't matter who baptized you, all baptisms are equally good. It is God who makes the baptism work, not the person. And they're all the same. And it doesn't matter if you were baptized by the Pope or baptized at the storefront. It doesn't even matter if the person who baptized you turns out to be a horrible person. Because the church actually had a whole debate about that at one point. You know, when there was persecution, some pastors gave in and pretended to be pagan for a while to avoid persecution, and then they came back and people said, well, if you were baptized by a guy who denied the faith, then your baptism doesn't count. The church said, nope. Even if Satan himself baptizes you, it's God that makes the baptism, right? That, that there isn't a distinction. They're all, and there isn't a class distinction. There isn't a, ca a caste ranking of baptism. But then the discussion changes. The discussion changes in Paul. <laughs> if you read the text, it starts getting into the stuff about spiritual mysteries and how do you experience the gifts of the Spirit and how do you discern good from evil spirits. And Paul has to tell him, look, look, I didn't tell you guys about that stuff. I didn't get into that. And you want to know why? Because you weren't ready for it. You couldn't handle it. You weren't ready to hear about spiritual mysteries because you're too busy trying to find your social position. You're quibbling and gossiping instead of opening yourself to de deeper truths. And as long as interpersonal gossip and angling for social position is what's on your mind, you're like infants who can't handle the truth. All I could give you is the proverbial milk. Because you can't think about the nature of the universe when you're worried about, does he or she like me? And all about the drama. Part of why Paul's letters went from being like just correspondence about how to deal with church conflict and how they then turned into books of the Bible is that the stuff he talks about happens a lot. A lot of churches... You know, it's hard to talk about the deeper things of the spirit because they get too engulfed in personal, interpersonal politics, quibbling over who's got their way or this way or who's on this committee or who can I get on my side to get more votes to get my color of the carpet in or whatever it is. 
We will be replacing the color of the carpet, and no, we're not going to split our church on that. And Paul's saying, essentially, when everything's caught up in drama, it doesn't matter how old you are, maturity-wise, you're still in eighth grade passing notes. So what is the spiritual meat we need? How do we get there? <clears throat> it's not just by meditating a lot, although it's always a good place to start. But if you try to sit and meditate, and the only thing that comes to your mind is all the drama, then you can't get to the higher truths. Here, here's what we have to get over to get to the good stuff. Okay, this is another Lars list. Get rid of love of status or need for status. Angling for relational alliances, using friendships for ladder climbing, you know, picking friends based on how it benefits you, strategizing and plotting how to be popular and liked and looked up to. You have to let go of that need to do that. We all, we, we all need love, but you can find love without status. If you're so desirous of status that you view people and friendships as a means to an end, then that's not friendship, that's networking. And that's absolutely what I would do if I had a business. If I sold insurance or something, I would absolutely want to figure out who's, who's, a, you know, who's a potential client, who's a potential customer, where's the deal. I would be really nice to people I didn't really care about because I needed their business. I would absolutely do that, but my personal life needs to be different. Two. We gotta get rid of jealousy of others' spiritual gifts. If you're spending your time just wanting the life someone else has, you won't enjoy the one you have. Paul tells the church in Rome to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy for others. Three, stop thinking of God as a way to get things. You know, not every part about Christianity needs to be about getting something for me. You know, maybe it's about filling others' needs. I would argue that if you spend a lot of time focused on how to take care of others, you become less dramatic, almost, almost automatically. Four, your fellow Christians are not competition. They're your brothers and sisters. You don't have to get ahead of anyone. Jesus didn't. The spiritually mature person does not need to always be seen or heard or noticed or validated or paid attention to. The mature person doesn't need to always be the center of things. The spiritually immature person is constantly unfilled, angling, trying to get more. The spiritually immature person is the one who goes to the wedding and ruins everything because she can't handle that it's all about the bride and not me. Right? And so next thing you know, you've got a 70-year-old woman in the corner sobbing uncontrollably about how hurt she is by, you know, the pubo being the wrong color. And you go, what is this all about? It's because the attention shifted. I need, I need, I need. It has to be about me. The mature person is happy to see other people happy. The greatest obstacle we face a lot of our time in our own growth as people and in our walks with God, I don't think it's always intellectual problem. In fact, I think most of the time it's not an intellectual problem of understanding concepts about God. 
like justification or confronting my non-being or whatever it is. It's often that we're unfulfilled in personal relationships. <coughs> Excuse me. And we're spending our energy trying to have those needs met by angling and social positioning. The mature person does not need to be liked or need to be the center or need to be popular or need to be admired. The mature person is content with God and pursues relationships for their own sake, not to improve themselves. You don't hate status, you just don't care about it. And when your mind is clear of all those extra needs, you can start talking about spiritual things. So, you repeat after me, if you start wavering in your thoughts, and you move from, how can I serve Christ and the poor, to, I wonder if this person's paying attention to me. A few things you could say. Here's some things you could say, some little mantras. God loves you, regardless of what you think. God loves you regardless of what they think. I don't need the approval of people whose approval is conditional. They're not your friends if they treat you like dirt if you don't give them what they want. And if you go back to people who treat you like dirt as a condition of friendship, then you've made it clear that you need them more than they need you, and then they own you. And that's not friendship, that's servitude. And popularity, maybe my third one, popularity is not quality relationships. And, and once you kind of come to terms with these things, you stop caring about that positioning, you see your value in God's eyes, you pursue relationships of substance and you can begin to embrace the spiritual truths about God. Then you can be ready for the meat. Then you can be ready to be a spiritual leader among Christians because you don't need to be a spiritual leader among Christians. Amen.